One of the things that I think uh, characteristic of Jewish civilization is the ability to take the ordinary, let's say the food you eat, right? And turn it into something that bears a relationship to the extraordinary, to the sacred, to meaning that has great historical depth uh, across time, as well as space. Why Knowledge Matters. Professor Dr. Deborah Gore, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. Describe to us Jewish civilization and why it's important. Well, that's a very big question, but I have been working for a number of years on the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization, which is tackling exactly that question. Um, normally, people think of Jewish civilization as primarily religious, um, growing out of sacred scriptures, out of the Torah, the five books of Moses, what is called the Bible. But in truth, um, Jewish civilization is much broader than that um, and includes the ways in which Jews come to practice a distinctive way of life. Uh, that way of life is shaped by values and ideals, a, a special calendar uh, that is also described in sacred terms, but it also includes things that are more, um, what should we say, more ordinary. Um, one of the things that I think uh, characteristic of Jewish civilization is the ability to take the ordinary, let's say the food you eat, right? And turn it into something that bears a relationship to the extraordinary, to the sacred, to meaning that has great historical depth uh, across time, as well as space. And one sees this in a wide variety of forms of cultural expression, um, whether they be what we think of as creative, literary, um, music, um, art, or whether what we think of as quotidian, the, the everyday, like food and dress. It's also very hard to really disentangle Western civilization with uh, Jewish civilization, you know, ultimately. But what made you personally interested in Jewish civilization and really history? So I think I was very much shaped by growing up in New York City, uh, which it has been the largest Jewish city in history for the 20th century. Uh, there was at its peak around 2 million Jews living there. And, you know, when you think about much of um, the rest of the world, there aren't too many other places that have such a concentration um, of Jews. And what made that so um, stimulating was that Jews 
were just part of the whole milieu, part of the city itself. They had their own distinctive practices, yeah, but they also were shaping the character of New York culture um, and the urban spaces and the ways in which the city went about its business. And I, I often tell a story um, about when I was in third grade, I, I went to a school that was located on um, 11th Street uh, and 2nd Avenue in, in Manhattan. And it was called the Downtown Community School. And we went on a trip um, in third grade because you're supposed to study local New York history. That was mandated by the state. So we went on a trip um, to do rubbings. And across the street from the school was an old Dutch church that dated to the 18th century, right? Because the Dutch were the first ones um, to arrive after Native Americans to the island of Manhattan. So this old Dutch church had cemetery as part of it, but we didn't go across the street to the cemetery. We took our rubbings, the paper and the you know charcoal, and we walked the street and we did rubbings of manhole covers. And it was the manhole covers that really helped us to understand the history of the city because they're very different, especially in that older part of New York. So you learned about gas and electricity and telephones that, you know, they all had their own manhole covers. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's what got me excited about uh, history, particularly, especially urban history. And Jewish history was integral to, to that. Jews have lived in cities for you know, many, many centuries. And as you said, it's really difficult to disentangle Jewish history from the history of uh, Western uh, culture more generally because of where Jews have lived. Um, although, as the Posen Library of Jewish Culture works hard to, to show you, Jews have lived in Africa, they've lived in Asia, they, right? I mean, we have examples from a wide variety of uh, uh, places where Jews have lived and, and the cultures that they um, uh, created there, the languages that they wrote in and stuff. Yeah. In what ways does Jewish history matter, especially for the West? Well, so you have to go back to answer that question about the significance of Jewish history for the West to sacred scriptures, right? Because what we think of as Hebrew scriptures uh, becomes with some changes um, the basis for the Christian Bible um, and also becomes integrated aspects of it into um, Muslim scriptures. And so that ends up shaping uh, the cultures beyond Jews, right? Because all three groups are reading some of the same texts. They're not always reading it in the same languages, um, but they are familiar with it. So you talk about Abraham, right? Well, you know, people recognize Abraham. Um, you don't have to be Jewish to know uh, about Abraham. Uh, it's, uh, Abraham's a figure for Jews, Christians, and Muslims all. Um, I, I think that that's 
part of why Jews and Jewish culture become significant. But of course, the, the history of Jews in, um, in Europe or in North Africa or under, uh, in Asia is also very much shaped by the, the politics and the rulers um, in different time periods uh, in those sections of the world. Yeah. Anti-Semitism is still prevalent in the West. Why is that? You know, if I knew the answer to that question, <laughs> I would be really, you know, uh, um, uh, turned to all the time. Um, so why do people insist on hating Jews? That's, you know, that's the heart of anti-Semitism. Um, and it's taken many, many different forms throughout history. Um, there was a time when it was primarily religious in focus. Um, uh, it then became primarily political in focus. Um, it was racial in focus. I think part of it has to do with the fact that you can, if you're not Jewish, create whatever kind of Jew you want. Um, and we find anti-Semitism existing and, and even flourishing in places where there are no Jews at all. Right? So in that sense, it's an object of hatred. But as an object of hatred, it also it, it adheres to actual people who are Jews. Right? Um, so it's not just um, a, a form of, of hatred that is out there in a sort of fantastic way, um, but it has very real implications because there actually are people, very small number relative to the rest of the world, but there are, are real people who, who are Jews. And um, one of the powers of anti-Semitism has been its ability to keep changing. So whatever is the current popular way of thinking about the world, um, there gets to be an anti-Semitic version of that. Um, but I realize that's not, that's not a great explanation. I, I don't have a real, you know, excellent explanation for it. What makes you hopeful when it comes to Jewish history, and particularly when it comes to anti-Semitism? Well, those are, that's, those are two different questions. So uh, hopeful about Jewish history is the easier piece to, to answer. I mean, in the process of being editor-in-chief of the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization, I have been learning about all kinds of incredible um, writings and, and uh, artwork and that, that Jews have created over centuries. I, I just recently, you know, decided to look up some of the different languages that the volume has. Um, it, it, over 26 languages in the volume. They're all translated into English. Um, and it goes from Afrikaans all the way to Yiddish, right? So this level of creativity is something that uh, I have very much um, uh, appreciated and I have no doubt it's going to continue. 
right? That's really clear. Um, so that's the easy part of the answer, right? Because Jews have been created for thousands of years. They're going to continue to be in any number of different languages and stuff. About anti-Semitism is harder to be optimistic. Um, there was what we now sort of recognize as a relatively brief period of time after the Holocaust, um, where anti-Semitism declined. Um, at, at, these are the, the years, you know, the latter part of the 20th century. Um, and even, even in the beginning of the 21st century, uh, so that's a sign of potential optimism. If it's gone down once, it potentially could go down again, even though at the moment, that's not where it's headed. It's headed in the opposite direction. But I, I have students um, who were lucky enough to grow up and never encounter it, which wasn't my experience, right? Um, it wasn't the experience of my kids, but you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, and so that it gives one some sense of hope. It is also uh, remarkable uh, the resiliency of Jewish people when you look back at history. Why do you think is, and where does this resiliency come from? Well, I think that that's, we might say, hardwired into um, the culture, into the religious attitudes towards the world, into a sense of um, what it is that um, religious Jews believe God wants of them, but even non-religious Jews feel um, is sort of what their task is. Um, American Jews often talk about um, the, the need for what they call tikkun olam, the, the, the task of improving the world, right? The, the, this is something that uh, Jews feel responsible for. And that means that the world can be improved, right? So there's optimism there, right? If you're tasked with making this a better place, um, then it can be made a better place. And whether you see this as your partnership with God or some other larger power than yourself, or whether you see this as a human responsibility, it, it still um, shapes your attitude toward um, the world around you and the society you live in. Lastly, Professor Deborah Dashmore, what makes you feel alive? Well, what makes me feel alive? Um, I actually feel very fortunate, um, not just, you know, being alive. Um, I feel fortunate because I have family, um, both children and grandchildren. Uh, which is really crucial. Um, I feel fortunate that I can still learn new things, which I manage to do almost every day. Uh, and so that's something that's really uh, pleasurable um, and makes me feel alive. Um, I feel fortunate that I can also help people and teach people. I mean, even engaging in the conversation we're doing now. I hope people 
listen to it. And, and if they do, you know, it is something that um, uh, makes me feel very good uh, about being alive. So those are just some of the things. That, yeah. Professor Deborah Dashmore, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, you ask really stimulating and tough questions. Deborah Dash Moore. That's why knowledge matters.